the HR Happy Hour Show live from the HR Tech Conference. My name's Steve Bose. I'm with Trish Steed. Trish, how are you? I'm fantastic. It's so fun. I'm glad we're here. We've done this live show here at HR Tech for a number of years. It's always fun to do it. Is this like our, it's probably a decade of this or something. Yeah, we but we ca- we're catching everybody at the end of a very exhausting <laughs> couple of days, so we'll see how we do here. Exactly. Uh, but we're joined by three auspicious guests who are also members of the HR Happy Hour Media Network as well, but uh, among doing really cool things in their own right. That's right. Immediately to my left, Mervyn Dinan. Mervyn, how are you? I'm good, thank you, Steve. Great very to see good. you. It's been a great day today. You're busy day today, right? Yeah, busy and good. Yeah, awesome to see you. What's your podcast on the network called? It's called HR Means Business. Nice. And there's a new episode released on Monday that you should all listen to. <laughs> How employee resource groups drive the DEIMB agenda. Yeah, it's a great show. I listened to it. Well done. Uh, next to Mervyn is Madeline Lerano. Madeline, how are you? I'm doing well. Great Hi, to everyone. see you. Good to see you, too. How's the event been so far for you? Oh, it's been great. It's busy. I can't believe we're already at the end of Wednesday. It's right. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And you've been involved in quite a few things. Obviously, you've been doing briefings, speaking in sessions, doing the Pitch Fest, right? Yes. What, maybe give everyone a little idea of like what was going on with the Pitch Fest. Oh, well, George will know better than I do because he's been at every one doing all the hard work of moderating You're it all. You're just judging, But right? I'm just judging. <laughs> and today was so interesting because it was all well-being. And it's really interesting to see that as being kind of the big theme. It makes me wonder if a lot of companies started those solutions in 2020 when that was kind of the big topic and now they're kind of seeing it through. But to see this resurgence in well-being again Mm -hmm. after the pandemic is, I think, a very enlightening sign. I think it's good. Positive. And let's say hello to George Larocque, the aforementioned host of the Pitch Fest. Moder- uh, chairman of the Innovation Summit, which happened right. here on Monday. Great to see you, George. Maybe uh, give us a couple minutes on either Innovation Summit, Pitch Fest, or just what you're what you've been up to. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me here. I'm, you know, it's been a long week already. The the uh, the pre conference, <laughs> yeah. The uh, the Innovation Summit was basically a gathering of investors and startups and scale ups. We had. Uh, on the investor side, angel investors, all the way up to the big investment banks and private equity firms. Um, like the Pitch Fest, we had a lot of different types of solutions that were presenting. Um, all of the, all of it was very interesting. A lot of pressure. They had 15 minutes to present. It wasn't a competition, but you know, I think we always feel limited by whatever time we're given. And at the Pitch Fest, they have three minutes, and it was really interesting because at the Pitch Fest. This year, they were really tight. Like most of the presentations ended on time, uh, covered all the bases, um, and we we saw themes. Like today was well-being. Like Madeline said, um, I think we saw we saw a recruiting day, and we saw more of a uh, learning skills sort of mobility uh, day as well. But it's been exciting. Innovation is live and well in HR tech, and uh, it's fun to be around. I'd love your your opinion on. Um, sort of the pitches in general, because I know at the Pitch Fest you all were kind of talking about not being able to pitch within three minutes or however long you have, right? And before you, you're just talking about the problem without talking about your product. Could you maybe just enlighten everyone who might not be here at HR Tech? What is the proper way to really tell someone about what you're working on and make it interesting so that they actually become a buyer yeah. as opposed to maybe just rambling about it? Yeah. Um- so the, the, it's really hard to tell your story in three minutes, but like I said, it was hard for some of them to do it in 15 minutes. 
And I think the with this format for the pitch fest with three minutes, you know, they're given a list. You know, they they're not given the rubric, but they're given basically the components of the rubric. These are the things that you need to hit. This is what the judges are looking at. And I tell them all, be on time, practice, hit all the points. And if you, you know, when you get here, you get nervous and you're running out of time, you know, you're going to have two minutes for questions. So I tell them, be like a politician that's asked a question. Give a quick soundbite as an answer and then squeeze a little something in that you wish you said during your presentation and, you know, get it out there because you're judged overall. I think the important thing is to hit all the points and not dwell too long on, you know, higher level stuff. George, you mentioned there was like a recruitment day. I'm going to pitch this question to, to Madeline and I, I mentioned I was the judge at that that round and I asked one of the recruitment vendors I said uh, man you've picked the toughest vertical to get into here the most competitive the most uh, most competition the most hard to sort of break through in so Madeline like what are some of the ways that if you're uh, advising folks who are looking at recruitment technology there's so many of them some of them are very similar are there one or two things you talk about when you say hey when you're looking at recruitment technology there's one or two things to think about as you're assessing it yeah, I think it's um, sometimes confusing because providers come up with new categories in recruitment and they're saying we're a recruiting vendor, but they're making up a completely new category that no one's ever heard with, about that doesn't align with the budget. So I think the first piece of advice is to be very clear about who you are as a vendor and then to be very clear about what you want as a buyer. And that's definitely a good place to start. Um, and then I think there's a lot of um, solutions that overlap. So companies are looking and they bought tons of technology in 2020. Now they're being a little bit smarter with those decisions. So they have to really be more thoughtful about the providers. I think deep domain expertise in the industry goes a long way, like really understanding how complex talent acquisition is and not just viewing it as an opportunity goes a long way as well. So Long answer. <laughs> no, great. Thanks, Madeline. I'd love for you to maybe elaborate a little bit on sometimes there's a gap between what the vendors are creating. And obviously, we want them to be ahead of the market, right? Sort of anticipating what people are going to need. But then they also fall into the category of we're responding and only building what our customers are saying they, what they say they want and need. And that's, I'd love to just hear your ideas on that because I think there's a big disconnect sometimes of maybe not enough guidance for the future. What, what are you seeing in here? There's a huge gap. I think it's a great point, Trish. I think there's a big gap and providers spend so much time trying to build technology and so much investment and don't often ask companies what they want. And I think the gap is sometimes they don't have and understand the voice of the customer, so they don't get that, or the voice of the candidate when you're talking about talent acquisition. And I think other times it, it is the situation where providers think they have to be the first at something they have to be the only at something. And buyers aren't buying the first or the only of anything. They want solutions to solve what their challenges are. They don't want to buy something that's the first, but providers really are stuck on this creation of a new category to be the first at something. Yeah. I think too, though, on the flip side, you also need to somehow balance out not just giving your customers what they only ask for, because then you'll never sort of be leading them. I think there needs to be a nice balance of the vendor actually leading your, with your expertise, right, of having a, a wider perspective maybe than buyer A, B, or C, or customer A, B, or C, right? So yeah, that's a hard thing to navigate, and I think some, sometimes you see people do that better than other times, right? Mervyn's our emissary here, came all the way from the UK, <laughs> Arsenal fan, we won't hold that against him. Uh, you're speaking on Friday along with Matt Alder, uh, giving oh, yeah? us a little global perspective, a little European perspective. 
Are things really much different in the HR and workplace tech space? Say, because you, you spent a lot of time and done a lot of research analysis here in the U.S. as well. I'd love your thoughts on that because we, we invited you all the way here to, to share some of that insight. The, I think that the, the main differences are um, around interesting, you mentioned well-being before. That, that seems to be one of the big ones. Um, that the people that I've been speaking to here um, recognize that in Europe, well-being is, I suppose, a much bigger thing. Um, people are more concerned. I think there's, culturally, there's quite a difference in that a lot of the uh, Western European business cultures are very much about the individual having time, being able to switch off. You know, there's, there's um, countries where it's almost mandated that, you know, no emails after 6 p.m., that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and I think that it's kind of family time, relaxing stuff. That, that's quite important. That's a key driver. Whereas I think in the U.S., there's much more of a drive to do more, have more, be more. And I don't mean that in a negative way in the slightest. Um, but certainly, um, I mean, we were talking about well-being at the beginning of the week, and there were like four or five categories. I'm going to show a slide on Friday morning where in Europe there's like seven categories people talk about. Um, you know, one or two areas that maybe get, get glossed over. Um, but I think that there's certainly, um, certainly shifts have been there a long time. Um, I'm going to quote some research from six years ago that we worked on um, where we surveyed 14,000 job seekers and one of the things we tried to find out from them was you know if they were interested you know, back then you know in flexible work you know not working a full week hybrid and you know, almost two-thirds and this is across 10 different European countries said that having the opportunity to work flexibly okay. um, remotely would make them choose one company over another so that was six years ago so uh, as far as Europe's concerned, that trend isn't because of the pandemic. The pandemic has kind of accelerated it. I'd love to jump in because my research in 2019, I did the UK and the US and exactly the same. We, I can completely validate your results. The, and I say that everywhere I go. This is the, the COVID didn't create anything. It accelerated yeah. things. It, it illuminated things. Yeah created a lot of, you know, disease and death and really bad things. But when it comes to these trends in the workforce, they've been around for a while. I'm so happy to hear you say that. Yeah, no, definitely. And it was interesting. So on the way over, I was reading an article in the, uh, the Financial Times. And one of the, a couple of companies were being interviewed about their, their approaches and how they're balancing kind of flexible work. Um, and both of them actually used the word talent magnets which I only hear about and obviously events like this and, and presentations from kind of, yeah, experienced tech. Uh, but no, I mean, they, they're, they're talking about kind of, you know, flexible work, people being able to work in, in like we work offices, but near a home uh, as being a talent magnet to attract the talent. I, I'm so glad you're both sharing that information because I feel like, you know, when I started into the workforce in the 90s, that was definitely something that our generation was asking for. We wanted flexibility and it was just squashed. It was like, no, this is not how it works. I mean, I've had bosses that just say, no, you need FaceTime in the office. I need to see your face, right? Even though it was perfectly acceptable and we had tools that would have allowed working from home or remotely. Do you think that some of this change that came pre-pandemic is because of, of Gen Z joining the workforce? Because I almost wonder if that's like them pressing on us saying, hey, you may be in leadership, but we 
our generation wants this flexibility and we're going to demand it? Or is that some, some other reason that you think? Uh, Mervyn first and then maybe George. Um, no, I think that's a, a valid point. I think that just from conversations that I have with, um, I suppose, you know, friends and people I know who may be a, 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 a slightly longer work experience, shall we say, um, they, 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 they were used to a culture of presenteeism. So it's you've always got to be seen in the office. You've got to be there. You've got to be. You might not be doing very much there, but you've got to be seen there. Right. Um, and I think you're right. I think that a, a a younger generation are more interested in the quality of the work they do, how they're supported, how they're recognised. You know, these are the things that keep cropping up when it's kind of you know, why are people leaving? Why are they changing jobs? They don't feel that they got opportunity. They don't feel they're being recognised. And whereas years ago it had been I've got a job I get paid on time you know nobody's too hard on me I'll keep it right George I know you've got to bounce in a minute so maybe get your comments on this yeah and so uh, the, in the work that we did in 2019 um, it was 60% of companies had some sort of flexible model you know UK and US and it was pretty flat between it was similar in both um, there wasn't a generational divide in sort of who was in those models, but I, we, didn't, we didn't ask about their desire to be in those models. But when it came to things like purpose and uh, purpose in your work, meaning in your work, there was no generational divide. It was like slight between all of the generations in the workforce. And so my, I, I feel like it's personal. I feel like in the aggregate, um, people, you know, want different things based on, you know, their desires and where they are in their life and their life stage. Um, I've been working, even when I had 200 people in an organization under me, um, I was remote and I was in an office once a month and uh, I was lucky when I was there because I traveled so much and it was... Um, when I was in an office for in the middle of my career for a while, I felt like a caged animal. I wanted out. I wanted I wanted travel and back in the home office. So, um, yeah, I, I I don't know, but um, it's I Your think your sense it, is no though. Yeah, my yeah. sense is more that it's not generationally driven, yeah. um, but I think uh, the gen that generation may be willing to be more vocal about what they want. But it's more fun to pick on this new generation, though. All the new no, generations. I was giving all a compliment. Like they're, like, they're pushing us, right? Because we've kind of been squashed down a little bit on what we're willing to be vocal about, right? We've, if you're told no over and over, then I don't know. I mean, I feel, though, too, it, it shows the culture of the company, right? If they're willing to, if they're willing to create a culture of trust where you know that in certain jobs you can get that work done just as well if you are remote, maybe even better, right? I'm a big fan of working outside. If I need inspiration, if I need to be more creative versus if I need to be heads down, you know, I always was trying to think of like, okay, can I go outside? Can I be somewhere different, right? At a museum, at, at looking at art, I don't, whatever. So I think that there needs to be a balance, right, depending on the type of work you're doing. Yeah, because these are complex problems, and I'll just tell like a personal story here. One of the most interesting things I did all year long was I got uh, was lucky enough to go to the uh, country's largest commercial interior design conference. It's called NeoCon. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. 
this happens in Chicago. So it's, it's what you'd think. It's desk chairs and tables and carpeting. I would love that. But it's like, a lot more than that. that. And the funny thing was when we, we were going on it, we were judging like the, the best of Neocon Awards, much like we did the top HR products of the year. I have to be the only person this year in this country who's intersected between awarding the best office chair innovation of the year <laughs> and the best AI and recruitment innovation because I, I was I both of it. those. I love it. But the interesting thing was when we saw the presentations from the various uh, manufacturers of, of uh, office and commercial uh, interiors and yeah. design, those speeches, I could have lifted them word for word with any speech a CEO doing the pitch fast or in any of these booths would have told because they only talked about employee experience, productivity, collaboration. Yeah helping people like feel comfortable, meet with their colleagues. It's, the speeches were exactly the same. The punchline was different. The punchlines here are, oh, an AI-powered matching algorithm. Their punchline was you know, a, a chair that you know, pivots to 17 different positions. But the speech was exactly the same. I thought it was remarkable. And then I thought, why do we not think about, when we talk about employee experience, we almost only talk about software. Right. And the, and, well, it was such an eye-opening experience for I've me. talked uh, to people who are very big influencers, both in supply chain as well as uh, in the CIO sort of realm, and the same thing. They're talking about the same thing. Listen to their podcasts, listen to their speeches. It's, it's word for word, right, on employee experience. So it's important to them, but we, we feel so siloed sometimes, and I just wonder, Madeline, I mean, you're nodding your head. Are you kind yeah, of experiencing I think the same thing? Same thing, and actually, ironically, in the Pitch Fest this afternoon, there was someone that pitched um, work, workspaces, like designing a workspace where you're competing with Amazon or Wayfair, right. and it's an employee experience solution. But I think exactly, it's not necessarily software. And it goes beyond just what we would traditionally define as employee experience. Well, and you know what? It's interesting. That just, like, sparked a memory. When I went to work for St. Louis Children's Hospital, one of the first things they did was they said, now, HR doesn't get offices in the hospital because it's obviously very precious space, right? Well, at one point, they decided that the three business partners, HR business partners, would get in, each would have an office, small. What they did was they actually have an interior design company within the hospital system because you want it to look very friendly and welcoming for the children especially. So they let us go to design our offices. We got to, it was like having your own little house. You get to pick out your paint color. Like I love purple. I had a purple office, right? With all the, you know, the chair and the lamps and everything I got to choose. That was like the best employee experience I think of my entire career. Just having someone ask me what I wanted as simple as like paint color. Like, why are we not doing more of that? I don't know. Maybe you need to blend. It's almost blend. like personalization. Like, it really it's is. whether it's the workspace or whatever that means to you. Like, if you're personalizing those experiences. Yes. I know, Mervin, with Matt, this is a lot of what he talks about with his podcast, but I think right. that is experience. It is. And I think, too, it's such a small thing. You wouldn't have to open it up, like, just free for all, right? You could have a, you have six choices of, the chair you want or the color you like or whatever, right? But you're going to stay longer if you are in an office if it can look like you and not look like someone else. Go ahead, Marvin. But what happens if you move? I don't mean leave, mm. but I mean move around the business, different location someone or else different Someone gets a thing, really pretty office. And somebody <laughs> gets an office and says, but I don't like this color. Well, they would I don't repaint. Want a it's like paint. That. That's the beauty of it. I mean, I'm thinking about like really just simple things you could do to make an office more personal, right? Or encouraging. I mean, you can even walk around the booths here. You can see which ones seem really personalized and which ones aren't. 
right? You know, the, it's a very different culture. Yeah, between. that's an interesting uh, comment, Trish, because it, it makes me think of something about, like, like and, and Mervyn and, and Madeline, I love your thoughts on this as well, is, like, what can attendees or any really person considering new technologies or partnering with a new provider, do, do, we, do we care about things like that? Should we care? Is, is it... The relate, you know, the the culture of the organization that's providing the the services or the products is that something a uh, buyers potential buyers should evaluate and b if 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 yes, how might you go about doing that? Because that feels like it could be hard to do. That's a tough question. I mean, I think it's important. I think you should at least consider it. Again, it might not be something that you can just do in one fell swoop. But yeah, if you're talking about a, a company that you're pitching to, if I'm the vendor and I'm, you know, your company is a very buttoned up organization, it's very conservative, right? I might want As to. As you should be, yes. We are not. Your half might be, but <laughs> but no. But I think you would. Pit, I think you would sell differently and maybe like highlight the ways, or if they're very like extra security minded or whatever the culture dictates, right? But if you have a very vibrant, dynamic, young, whatever culture of a company that you're you're trying to get as a customer, you would pitch that very differently and and highlight the fact that you can make it highly customized for your employees and. I don't know. I think that I think many vendors do have that ability, but I don't know if the sales teams they they kind of sometimes tend to go out in one way, right? They sell the same way to everybody, but I don't know. What what are you seeing, Madeline, in in terms of the Yeah, I think they don't necessarily think about the differences in who they're selling to and sometimes it's just easy kind of research that can be done. Um, we did like a sales enablement session together, Trish, a few years ago, but I think you gave some of those tips and it was I mean, it really impacted them. It's not that I think there's a lack of effort. I think it was just not thinking through that piece of it. Yeah, well, I mean, I think, too, maybe a lot of times if you're on a sales team, maybe you haven't been sold to in that way, right? You really do have to think like the buyer. Right. And also, I mean, someone like me, yes, I'm at HR Tech, but I might be a little more, you know, cautious about buying technology and might be thinking about things differently that are important to me as as a leader in my 50s versus when I was a leader in my 30s, right? I might have had a completely different approach. So I think you have to look at the whole person, right? And again, that takes time, but ultimately I think it would pay off. Yeah, agreed. No, it's when you said look at the whole person, in the back of my head, that's bring your whole self to work. Right, yeah. And yeah. the salesperson should do the same thing, right? Yeah. It's it's a small little bit of effort, right, up front, but it hopefully will have a bigger payoff more quickly because you're going to make that connection. Again, it's just like we're trying to make our employees feel seen and heard so that they will stay with us or join us, right, in that process. We want our customers to do the same thing. If I'm a customer, I want to feel seen and heard. We have just a couple of minutes left, and thanks for the folks who hung out with us here live at, at our Small But Mighty group who hung out with us here That's live right. at HR Tech. Uh, a couple of minutes left before we let everybody go and enjoy the evening's activities here at uh, HR Tech. Uh, I'll start with you, Mervyn. Is there, is there something you've seen so far at HR Tech you, that's noteworthy, stood out to you, or, or maybe something you hope to see if you haven't seen it yet? Is it, uh, is it a provider? Is it a type of technology? Is it a person? Restaurants? What's uh, something that stands out for you so far? Um, I, haven't, I haven't tried many of the restaurants yet. Um, the... Um, well, I would say that the, the first thing is the buzz. There's an absolute buzz about the place. And I think, I mean, I was here last year, which obviously was the first one after three years. 
and I, you know, it was there was a buzz there, but obviously this is different now. We're, it's a little muted last year. Further still, yeah. on, yeah, and there's a lot more. I just think there's a lot more energy. Um, certainly, a lot of the conversations that I've been having so far today um, are around things like well-being and uh, the, the way we support people, and and maybe just taking a different. A different way to do those things so there's this there's some good solutions here I haven't spent as much time on the expo floor as I'd like to have I'm gonna do more tomorrow um, but there's definitely and there's a lot of collaboration so there's a lot of you know there, there's a, a, a looking at some of the tech I mean, ju- not just the evening parties where two or three companies are joining together to host them but there's just a, a, a real kind of feeling between exhibitors as I've been walking the floor that, that it's friendly there's nothing it's not competitive it's not you know it's and I think which is nice it's a very nice I know nice is a bad word it's a very positive feel to it I think yeah awesome Madeline what stands out for you excited you I agree I think the energy is amazing and I think the expo feels bigger and more impressive and busier than ever before so um, I've you know just been taking it all in. Um, to me, I think one thing that stands out that I don't think we've talked about enough in the past few years is the focus on frontline workers. Like we saw Harry make the announcement today with $43 million that they raised. They're focused solely on frontline workers. We're seeing more talent acquisition solutions, targeting Paradox being one of them, frontline workers. And I think it's amazing. I think we've forced frontline workers and hourly workers to be going through the same experience as professional workers for way too long and to see all of these providers making a bold move and offering solutions or products uh, really tailored to that worker is amazing. The hourly worker experience is something which has pretty much been ignored. Yes, the, the forgotten workforce. Is, they turn up, they're only interested in their shift, earning money, and but it's actually more and more people I speak to um, and it's very difficult. Uh, and even in the hiring process, again, historically it's been, well, yeah, the job's there, that's the rate, take it. Now, they want an experience as well. Mm-hmm. So the candidate experience we talk about actually applies to hourly workers as well. Yeah. I think for me, I've been really excited, Steve, about how much talk there's been about not just AI in general, but how it can be used for payroll benefits and compliance. So. The, the payroll girl in me is just like really excited because I've been asking for years and years and years for there to be like innovation in payroll and benefits and, and having those decisions be easier for our employees. And I feel like it's finally starting to like take root. But that's like many things, right? We'll see them here and then it takes a while before it actually starts getting applied in, in the workplace. So yeah, I had a really good conversation with someone from Workday today actually on how can we be adding even more AI capabilities into our payroll? And I'm like, yes, that's a great point. I'll I'll give a shout out to uh, Business Solver, who I'm sitting in on a session with them Mm -hmm. uh, about AI and empathy, specifically around benefits and employee well-being. So it's touching on many of those same themes. And I think that's kind of the next phase we're seeing, right, is these powerful, powerful, super advanced technologies, how can we use them to create more equitable, more fair, more engaging, more fulfilling workplaces and create work experiences for everybody, including very well said, Madeline, about front, the frontline worker experience yeah. too, right? Because uh, in the U.S., that's probably 60% of the workforce still, or certainly more than 50. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, that's about 60%, right? Yeah. yeah. So, awesome. This has been super fun. 
Thanks for the folks who hung out with us. Uh, thank you. Uh, Trish, awesome job today in your presentation, by the way. Thank you. That was so fun. Yeah, I mean, talking about AI for the CHROs, that, you know, it's exciting to see that they're really using it and embracing it and, and starting to take responsibility for how that will roll out in their organizations in terms of generative AI. So it was a really good session. Yeah, it was great stuff. So, all right, we're going to wrap here, let everybody get on their way. Lots of uh, events tonight, lots of parties. Uh, rumor has it a Katy Perry concert. We'll talk about that later. Uh, thanks for listening to the show. Thanks for listening to the HR Happy Hour. My name's Steve Buzz. We'll see you next time, and bye for now.